All right, we will have a split sermon by the newly returned Reg Nolan. It's good to have him back with us. The title of Reg Nolan's split sermon is Here We Are to Worship. Mr. Nolan. Okay, it is good to be back in my own kitchen and my own bed <laughs> after the, all those things. <clears throat> All right, here we are to worship. Throughout of the many congregations of the Church of God, ever since the scattering of the holy people, uh, where there's been an issue simmering that we need to address lest it also divide us. At its heart, the issue re revolves around the question, how do we worship God? Are we free to worship God any old way that we please? Or... Um, <clears throat> Is there something special? After all, he looks upon our heart, knows our intent, he knows what I mean. Does it really matter how we express our worship? Does God even care how we worship as long as we are worshiping him? Are, or are there certain things that we should do and should not do when worshiping Jehovah? Quite clearly, the level of detail, if you look through the Old Testament, the prescribed instructions for worship given in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the God of the Old Testament, which is, of course, Jesus in his pre-incarnate form, is rather particular about how he wants to be worshipped, but even more particular about how he doesn't want to be worshipped. Okay? I didn't know. No. God was very specific about what foods we were to eat and not eat, about the days we were to observe, even the time of day when the, that day was to start, about the number and type of animals that were used in the different sacrifices, and even the manner in which they were killed. He was also very specific about what we were not to do. For example, we were never, ever to sacrifice our children's lives, as did the followers of Moloch. Okay, if you read with me here. Leviticus 18.21 says, Thou shalt not let, thy, any, let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch. Neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 18.9-12 says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God has given thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the, command, the abominations of these nations. There shall not be found any among you that makes his, make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or is an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. By the way, to use di divination means to look into like Christ Christology, or hydronomy, or other. Uh, necro, anyway, all sorts of different kinds of uh, crystal ball gazing. And an observer of time is an, an astrologer. Or an enchanter, of course, is a wizard of some kind or a witch. Or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits. A wizard or a necromancer. It's a person who looks into the entrails of a dead body to try to foretell the future. For all of those who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, thy Lord has driven them out from before thee. Okay, now, any of you know who Moloch was? And I want to know what this thing looks like. Moloch was effectively a calf god. A, 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 something that looked like a, a coming on a bull. Uh, but it was set up this way. If you look, uh, let's see here. 
This is a, one of the images of it. It was a great iron beast like this. As this is a statue. And in its belly was a great fire. And the children were actually sacrificed, tossed into the fire this way as burnt offerings. Children as burnt offerings. This is probably inaccurate. This is a representation of uh, children uh, dancing around the golden calf. Uh, in all likelihood, the golden calf was a sitting calf, though not, not a standing one. This is the, uh, a picture of Moloch uh, with the stairway leading up to it, artist rendition. Um, again, they, they would place the babies into the burning, because uh, these are hot. This is, remember, these are all made of iron or brass. And uh, they would place the babies on the hand, and they would be burned up instantly in the process in this one. And this one actually cast into the stomach itself. Here's another picture of them. Notice in, in all of these, they're basically winged bovine gods of some form. Now, does that sound familiar to you, anyone? The cattle, or the oxen was one of the faces that was on the angels, the cherubim. So in all likelihood, these started out as worshiping of angels, and they became individual gods. Now, here's another interesting image, the owl. The owl turns out to be another symbol that's used in Moloch as well. So those, those are the images that we see uh, in, in all of this. Okay. <clears throat> All right, the God of the Old Testament, though, was a very jealous God. And it seems strange that th these kind of, look at these critters. These are ugly-looking gods, at least in my way of thinking, hideous things. And there are even worse ones than that I'll show you here in a moment. But why would anyone want to worship them? But they did over and over again. The God of the Old Testament was a very jealous child, and he always seems to have to compete for the worship and the affection of this very fickle people that he was worshiping. Time after time, God reprimands the children of Israel for idolatry, for sorcery, for witchcraft, for divination, for astrology, and other forms of worship of other gods. He says, Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them, after that they, are, uh, they be destroyed from before thee. And thou shalt not inquire after their gods, say, how did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do, unto, uh, thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth, they have done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters have they burnt in the fire to their gods. Whatsoever thing I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add to or diminish from it. Okay, here's some more of the gods that they worshipped. This one uh, is called Diabolus. This is Baal Diabolus. This is, uh, this is Azazel, the desert demon that we, we hear about in uh, at Atonement. Some people think that the, the, the goat was driven unto Azazel. Azazel, actually Azazel means departure, is to go to departure, but there was a desert demon by the same name, and that's what he looks like. Okay, here's another one of the Baals here. This is uh, uh, Baal Diablo, is this one's name. Uh, this is uh, Asherah here. Uh, this one you might seem familiar. Look, it's a merman, effectively. And it is known as Dagon. This is the, uh, the fish god of the Philistines. Notice again the cross that's on his head. Notice the, the emblem of his priest here. 
is a robe that has the fish's head on top and the mouth open. And we'll see something very interesting about that just a little bit later. Okay. Notice what they were doing. They were attempting to appropriate some of the rituals of these heathen nations that they had conquered and use them to worship Jehovah. In other words, they were assimilating the customs and the practices of the surrounding heathen nations and trying to use them to worship God. Does that sound familiar as well? There's another modern church that does exactly the same thing. Okay, but the eternal hates their rituals and does not want them to be used in worship of him. He is not at all vague about the, his disgust with those rituals. To be clear, God wants all other uh, worship obliterated. Here we go. Thou shalt not, uh, Exodus twenty three twenty four. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. Only Josiah ended up doing that, one of the very few that did. But uh, thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Pezzerites, um, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God has commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after their abominations, which the Lord has done, un uh, which they have done unto their God. So should ye uh, sin. So should ye sin against the Lord their God. Okay, now, take a look at some of these other gods. Here's some more. Now, who this person is, or this uh, deity is, they say. This is our old friend Ishtar. Okay, our old friend, the, the, the mother goddess. And here we see Ishtar, and what that she's holding? A wabbit. <laughs> Everyone see the wabbit? And around the wabbit's neck, there's a necklace with a solar cross in the middle of it. Here is the, the sacred towel, uh, which is uh, from Tammuz, and the solar wheel again uh, in the top of that one. Uh, you remember that Dagon, the fish god I was telling you about? Look at this. This is a priest of ancient Dagon, the fish uh, god. And again, here is the robe that the, the, uh, uh, the priest wore and the open top. How very similar that is to the miter hat that is worn by our friend uh, in Rome. This is, um, this is the obelisk in the square of St. Peter's uh, in, in, uh, in Rome as well. And the obelisk, of course, were just one of the many uh, upright pales, the uh, uh, poles of worship the, in the, the groves, the Ashereth. Uh, in there. Now notice this one. This is an interesting little combination that we have here. Um, if we go back to ancient Babylon, we find Nimrod occupies the position of the father, Tammuz, the position of the son, and Semiramis, which is the mother, husband, mother, wife of Tammuz, uh, becomes effectively the Holy Ghost. This is the original trinity. This is the original trinity where they came from. Okay, here's some more. You think we've done away with those today? Uh-uh, they're still with us. There's, these symbols are still with us today. Whoops, back up. Okay, hit the wrong button. Here is the Pentagon. See the Pentagon? And if you were to draw the diagonals in the Pentagon, you get a pentagram, which is one of the symbols in um, sorcery. Right in the middle of the, pentagram, uh, in the Pentagon, 
is a garden, and in the middle of the garden here is a statue of Moloch's owl. It's not just any old owl, that's Moloch's owl. Here's something I never noticed. Take out a dollar bill, and up in the corner of the dollar bill, they're hiding among all that uh, frill work. There's a little owl peeking over the corner of the dollar bill. I'd never noticed that before, not until I studied this research. But right there in the corner, there's the, here's the one in the dollar bill, and right above it, there is an owl peeking above the corner. That's Moloch's owl. Have you ever seen that one? There's all sorts of things I studied, I found out in the process of doing it. Here, of course, is another one of the obelisks. This is the steeple, huge phallic symbol here, of Tammuz on the cross of Tammuz on the top. Here's the typical crosses that we still hear today. And what about this symbol? This is a symbol that's used by many of the, uh, well, in the 70s, we called them Jesus freaks that were out there. Uh, and they would use this symbol as their recognition tool. It was like the Ankh that was used in many cases. Uh, in the original, it had the, the letters uh, I, uh, Iota, Chi, Omega, uh, and uh, sigma in it, which was ictus. Ichthyology, by the way, is the scientific term for the study of fish. This is the fish god. This is Dagon. All they've done in the for the uh, the Jesus freaks is that they changed that they changed out the name in the middle and made it. Uh, let's see, um, chi, uh, rho, iota, sigma, tau for Christ is what they've done. They just replaced the letters on the inside. And guess what this is? That's the bull market on Wall Street. And the bull, of course, is the symbol of Moloch, among others, and some of the other gods as well. The words Moloch is synonymous with Chemosh in another one of the religions, and Marduk with another one. It's the same basic god, it's just different names. Okay, so specifically, um, God is very specifically warns us that we are not free to worship him as we please. He answered, this is, um, um, he answered unto them saying, Well hath Isaiah prophesied unto you, hypocrites, as is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. And he said, And then full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. In Deuteronomy 12, 8, he says, You shall not do according to all that you have done here today, each man doing what is right in his own eyes. Rather, as in Proverbs 16, 25 tells us, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Rather, as God exhorts Joshua, be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the, of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither um, serve them, nor bow them yourselves to them. I did make mention of them, but in an educational purpose behind it. But cleave ye unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. And 
uh, he clarifies this uh, criteria for worship. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. How? In sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. Now, this is the key. This is the key which John states explicitly. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Makes sense, doesn't it? Clearly, it matters to God how we worship him. But that does not mean that he wants to micromanage our, our worship service. He does not, for example, specify the order of services. We have some flexibility there. The starting or ending times, the nature of the messages. Well, boy, I would be censored otherwise. Uh, <laughs> nor is there any indication that he prefers one kind of music over the other. Uh, even allowing what they now call white metal. You know what white metal is? It's heavy metal music with Christian themes. Personally, I think it fails on both accounts, but you know, that's another story. Um, for it's all a joyful noise to him. I've even learned to tolerate country and western while I'm here. Can you imagine that? Oh, at least in small doses. Okay. David, in Psalm 150, advocates the use of a variety of musical instruments. Contrary to the traditional Church of Christ doctrine, which prohibits the use of any musical instrument during a service. Look at... Slide one, the slide uh, here for Psalm 150. Look at all the different instruments we have. Praise you, the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery. That's a precursor of the modern guitar, so our guitars are right in the same family. Okay, um, uh, And the harp. Uh, praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and the organ. So our violins are fine here as well. So those are uh, electronic piano and this sort of thing. Praise him along the loud cymbals. So our drums are fine too. Praise him with the uh, high sounding cymbal. Let everyone that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise you the Lord. Psalm 150, David strongly advocates the use of musical instruments. Further, we have a precedent for even lifting holy hands to God as a form of worship established in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Of course, you better not do so while I'm speaking or I might call on you. Teacher's prerogatives, you remember. Okay. Um, Psalm 28.2. Hear the voice of my prayers when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy praise. Or, that's in the Old Testament. First uh, Timothy 2.8. Uh, therefore, I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Okay, so we have a precedent for the raising of holy hands in the service as a form of worship. Um, David even set a clear precedent for appropriate interpretive and responsive dance as a form of worship. And I have actually seen some interpretive dance as a, an appropriate form of re religious worship. That's fine. Okay, uh, David danced before, uh, this is 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 16. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with just a, a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, looked up uh, through 
a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Okay, so here's a, an artist's rendition. Obviously, it's not the thing, because they didn't have photographs or art at that time. But here's an artist's rendition of David dancing. In truth, he's too well clothed here. He was dancing in only a loincloth at that time. And here's an image, uh, again, an artist's rendition of Michael looking out the window and despising him. Okay. However, <clears throat> erotic dance, such that is form performed by Salome or the priestesses of the temple Diana in Ephesus, would not be appropriate form of worship, for their pur uh, their purpose was not to worship, but for arousal. Here's an example of some. This is an, an artist rendition of Salome dancing before Herod. It's the dance of the seven veils, and here is uh, the Greek priestesses dancing in the ceremony and before honoring the Olympic or lighting the Olympic torch. Clearly, there are appropriate ways of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. However, our God is an orderly and a purposeful God. So chaos, chaos would not worship or honor him. We can't really have people running up and down the aisles or rolling on the floor when someone is trying to deliver the message or when everyone's singing his own personal favorite hymn Altogether, that would be a cacophony. All right, there has to be some kind of order here during the songs. That would be confusion. And as we know, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Or as Ecclesiastes three uh, one says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. These people, they say, are slain in the spirit. Notice they are fallen over backwards. Nowhere in scripture does being struck by God, people follow her backward. They always fall forward, face forward to the ground. These are slain in the spirit. Here we have people also uh, rejoicing. Again, there's no, there is a precedent for raising holy hands. But you know, at the same time, you don't want to be everyone shouting in a different tongue. Again, that would be cophony uh, as we go through. Okay. Uh, we have structure to honor a God of structure. Some people say we're too structured. I don't think so. All right. But we have structure to honor a God of structure. Yet we allow enough flexibility for the free expression of religious affection. I remember Bill Fowler's famous 11th Beatitude. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. Okay, I, I really appreciate that. I use that in my classes even. Yes, clearly there are many good ways to worship God in song, in prayer, in speech, in reverence, in peace, in behavior, in cooking for our potlucks, in service, in fellowship, many ways indeed. But as we have seen from the Old Testament example, there are some things that God does not like as forms of worship to him. So we should avoid them. For example, he is adamant about not using the rituals and icons of other gods to worship him, including, but not limited to, crosses, crosses uh, steeples, staffs and banners, Easter eggs, hot cross buns, Christmas trappings, maypoles, statues and icons, talismans and pendants, lighting candles, prayer cloths and wheels, rosary beads, and uh, re repetitious ceremonial prayers. When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they should think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Here we see someone telling the rosary. 
All they do when they're telling the rosary is they're repeating basically the same prayer. Hail Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed art thou among women, etc. And they go on. They tell the rosary, these, these prayers, over and over and over for all 40 beads on the, on the rosary. Here we have, it's the same thing, though, repeated over and over and over again. Here we have uh, monks chanting and praying this way. And here, of course, we have uh, a procession of monks. Iesu Domine, Donaeus Requiem. They just repeat the same thing over and over. And they bash their heads with the, four, over the prayer boards. Anyone know the illusion? Okay. Uh, in fact, performing a ritual such as blowing out candles while chanting a phrase four times actually constitutes an incantation or a spell in sorcery. Fortunately, we have very few rituals here in our church. In fact, I can't think of any actions other than the sacraments of Passover and the baptism laying on hand that even qualify as a ritual in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We have very few. We are very... Um, sparse on the, on the ritual okay so how do we worship God we are to worship him in the spirit and in truth in sincerity and truth one of the most powerful ways to worship God is through praise and music for music has the power to stir us it has the it has spirit and sincerity however many of the hymns and much of popular Christian praise music is severely lacking in truth, for they were written by people in the world's churches which have been influenced by Catholic dogma, which is already is really just an amalgam of um, assimilated pagan beliefs and practices. Consequently, many of them miss the mark when it comes to truth. You know, it really bothers me, I don't know about, about you, but it really bothers me to sing words that I know are not true. More specifically, to sing about immortal souls, or flying off to heaven, or a home up yonder, or obelisks, a.k.a. steeples, with or without bells, crosses, old and rugged or otherwise, prayer wheels, Christmas song, Easter song, the Holy Ghost, or a trinity, or any other nonsense that are embedded inside many of the lyrics. I can't sing a lie with sincerity. Can you? Can you sing a lie with sincerity? The hymns in our red and blue hymnal have been filtered somewhat by our Seventh-day Church of God in the CGI to exclude Christmas and Easter song, but they still have a few crosses and souls scattered throughout. Maxine and I largely um, screened and edited most of the songs in the blue binder, but even we may have missed a phrase or two. I mean, we're not perfect yet. Uh, many of the songs in the blue hymnal are taken from the uh, psalms, so there's no doubt about the truthfulness, but the syntax of the lyrics has been so twisted and contorted for the sake of rhyme or rhythm that we have to study even to know what we're singing about, I think, which affects the, the spirit of the worship. Most of the songs written by Dwight Armstrong in particular have this flaw. Further, most of his songs were designed for violin, not the human voice, so that the melodies, while they might be quite lovely on the violin, are difficult for us human beings to sing. They really are. Again, detracting from the spirit of worship. Now, I really like the upbeat melodies of the praise and worship team uh, music, and I think it has greatly enhanced and revitalized our song service. How about you guys? Yeah, okay, anyway. 
A big shout out goes to Matt, to Art, the praise and worship team, and our sound technicians back here for doing a great job and accomplishing in three years a task that I couldn't get done in 20. So I, I, I really applaud you guys. Um, but here's the problem. But many of these songs, since they were primarily written for worldly Christianity, so the lyrics are riddled with error or consist of a statement with multiple repetitions, supposedly a different emphasis on each repetition. Neither alternative is really satisfactory for worship, for a song should be itself a mini-message, a mini-message with the verses developing the specifics and the re refrain echoing the theme. In contrast, one-line songs repeated endlessly with slight variation are mm, designed for ecstatic evangelism. That's what you do to whip up people into a frenzy, to stir emotions to a frenzy, or to induce a meditative trance-like state. That is not to say that effective repetition is not useful. It is, especially with dynamic and tonal effects, which you'll see here in a little bit as we demonstrate one of the songs during the special music. But it should never reach the point of tedium or monotony, lest it lose the very effect that it's trying to make. Nor should repetition in music be construed in the same context as vain repetition in prayer. Notice the vain repetition is limited only to prayer. It does not say anything about music. Okay. Notice that the prohibition against vain repetition I just said that. On the other hand, it's hard to conceive of uh, worship services without music. Can you imagine worship services without music? Hard, isn't it? Well, that would reduce us to a Bible study at best. That would reduce us to a Bible. And it would rob us of that very critical component that allows us to uh, participate in the worship itself. Can music, or uh, that is to say music on tape or CD, which I acknowledge has, is sometimes the only option for certain congregations, can also have a debilitating effect upon the worship because then even the song leader has to follow the pre-recorded music and the song and, and he doesn't have the flexibility to guide the congregation to the music service. Now, we are fortunate here in Tulsa because we have about a dozen regular speakers, thanks in great part to Mr. Gregory's efforts years ago to develop us through the men's club. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this stable of speakers. We have about a half dozen song leaders, regular song leaders, several musicians playing various instruments, and some great geeks to keep it all going smoothly. <laughs> okay, Our considerable variety in speakers, song leaders, and music virtually guarantees that on any particular Sabbath, there's going to be some members of the congregation that will be greatly enriched by the service, or there are going to be some that are going to be offended. Pick your poison. Okay? There are going to be some that are going to be offended. There's nothing we can do about that. Nevertheless, let us not forget why we come here each Sabbath. It is not to be entertained. It is we come here to worship God in spirit and in truth to meet with our Creator at His appointed time, that we may commune with Him, praise Him, learn, of his, learn from His word of Him, and for His plan for us. So, let us be on guard against any of those things that would be unacceptable worship toward Him. And if we happen to disagree on taste, let us at least agree to disagree in a spirit of sincerity and truth. For we are here to worship. And I ended with one of my favorite passages because there's a song that goes through it as well. Let the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord.